Father, as we get ready to open up your bread of life, this is going to be a basic lesson, Father, from your word. You know, it's always good to stay close to the basics, stay close to the word of God, to know who and what we are. And so, Father, you wrote every bit of this. Your Holy Spirit breathed these words, these thoughts from the mind of you and Christ into those who you ordained to write these books. And so, Father, as we break them open, your word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word is the bread of life. And so, Father, we're to feast upon it each day, every word that proceeds from your mouth. So, Father, as we break it open, may we honor you with it. May you be the one who is glorified by it. May we be edified, may we be strengthened, yea, may we rejoice in the God that that is our God who loved us enough to send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to be our, our, our offering so that we might have the gift and the hope of eternal life. And so, Father, we thank you and praise you. May these words edify us, strengthen us. May we take them with us forever. May they be ingrained upon us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the last few weeks we've been talking about some different stuff. We've been digging deep into, into some of the, the deeper things of creation. Not only with how God created the angelic beings and, and the heavens and the earth and the galaxies and, and you and I and why we are here. We've, we've dug pretty deep into that. Last week... If you remember, we got into the, the garden. And we only got through one verse, but it was an important verse, wasn't it? It was an important verse that when it says in, in chapter 3, verse 1, that whenever the serpent approached the woman, he said unto her, he was the most cunning, the most subtle creature that was ever made by the hand of God. He was, he was being fed information from, from the dragon, the serpent himself. And we know that from Revelation Because it says in chapter 12 that that serpent, the dragon, the one who is called the devil and Satan, that he's been there from the beginning. And so he was was the one who was actually doing the speaking through here. And the first words that he said was, was, hath God said. And that's how far we got. Because we looked at the previous chapter in chapter 2 and as God got ready to make man as he had prepared this world as he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life 11 times in that chapter it talked about the Lord God Yahweh Elohim they knew him Adam and Eve knew him as the Lord God that means a personal relationship that means also you recognize his creative uh, his create that you are his creation that he has the authority over you and, and that he wants to have that personal relationship with you. So he is the Lord God. And Satan, the first appearance then of him, he says, no, hath God said. He separated Lord God, the, the Savior that was there, the personal relationship, and he separated it to make it generic. And so we learned how deceitful he was and, and how he tries to lead you away and lure you away from uh, with deceitful words, with baits that hide the hook, we learned that word was. 
that it looks good and when we bite upon it, it's like when you go fishing and then he sets the hook on you and drags you away from God and reels you in over to his side. But I want to leave that for a minute. I want to leave that because I just see this weighed hard and heavy on my heart all during the week before leading up to last week. But that's not what evidently I was supposed to do. I was supposed to do that when we had two souls baptized into Christ last week. Two precious, precious souls baptized into Christ. And I started seeing some different headlines this week. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you some teasers at the end. But what it started getting me to think about, what if? What if the Lord's about ready to return? What if? I don't know when. I'm not a prophet. I don't have that gift and I will tell you that. But what he has asked us to do is be sons of Issachar to kind of keep your eyes open and to know what's going on out here in the world because even when we're going to get into the scriptures where Jesus tells you some of the things to look at a little bit and when you see those things, know to look up because your redemption is nigh. It's, it's coming close. Is it this time? Is it this year? Is it any day? I don't know. It could be my day today. I'm not promised my next breath. Today could be my day, but we could go on another 2,000 years. I don't know. But what if? Because I do know that there is the promise that one day he is coming back, isn't he? He is coming back, and he said that you will know because things will speed up and it will start to be rapidly coming to you. And so I got to thinking about that, and I thought, I got to pose a question to you. And this is a serious question. It's not a flippant one. I don't want you to think, oh, he's just throwing a number out there or he's just doing this. I want, I want it to be a serious question. What if? What if there was only 16 days left before the Lord Jesus Christ was coming back? If you knew that was a possibility, how would that impact your life? Would it change what you're going to do today? Would it change... Your conversations with people, especially loved ones that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Would, would your plans for the next two weeks change? Well, last year, I don't know if you remember, about this time, I taught from the scriptures in Leviticus chapter 23 on the feast days of the Lord. I will get into those a little bit here as we go on. But they are very important. Jesus did not come to destroy everything. He came to fulfill it. And he's going to fulfill everything. And I'll show you that in a moment. But what if? What if we, we did only have 16 days? Because I can tell you right now that in 16 days is the Feast of Trumpets. And that's the feast that ends the time of the Gentiles. And begins the next section of God's work. That's going to be what's called in Thessalonians, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when there's going to be a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ are going to rise first and we which are alive and remaining will be joined up together with him in the air and thus shall we always be with him. So if that is the case, I'm going to show you from the scriptures in a moment that we do not know the day or the hour, but Paul, Jesus told us signs of when to look up. 
And Paul writes to the Thessalonians when he says that in chapter 4 about the trumps going to sound, the dead in Christ are going to rise and we're going to be caught up and so be with him. The very next verse, there wasn't a chapter break to go to chapter 5 verse 1, but the very next verse he begins to tell him, but you brethren, you are not children of darkness. The times and the seasons I don't have to remind you about when that time and season is going to happen because I told you when I was there teaching you. Those, we have all heard that he will come as a thief in the night. But you are not children of darkness so that you would not know. You are children of light and we have told you so. So that season, that time is when Christ is fulfilling all of these things. But more on that in a little bit. What if... 16 days then, that's going to be the time of the trumpet. Is it going to change your life and how you look and you feel about things? So, last week we talked a little bit about the Lord God and how we had those two precious souls baptized. And then the whole motivation for today's lesson was Ray, afterwards while we were standing there, he said, I didn't talk to you ever last week did I but your devotion for the communion was the same exact thing even the same scriptures but you said something that you said that you got from Paula on one of her posts that you gave her credit for that um, made me think about something and made me think about what all of us need to know about our relationship with the Lord God Jesus Christ you remember what you said Yeah, he's, <laughs> they said if you're not walking in his path, then all you did was take a bath whenever you did that. Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today. Not only about those who have not made that commitment in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, but what about all of us who have been? Or I want us to examine ourselves seriously since the Lord could come at any time and my time could be punched at any time, then Am I walking the path? Did I take a bath? Or did something else happen whenever I did that? So that's what I want to talk to you about today. Peter, the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said it like this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. He said, there once was a time, back in the days of Noah, back in that time, there was a time when the long-suffering of God waited. And he actually waited 120 years for people to have a chance to come as Noah, that preacher of the gospel of righteousness, not only built the ark, but he was telling people the Lord is getting ready to come. And he said this, there was a time during that when the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while that ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by what? It's what I read. That's not my words. That's the word of the Holy Spirit given to to Peter, they were saved by water. That like figure, what's that like figure? That saving by water and the grace of God in his long suffering. That like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also what? What does it do? I'm glad you said it. It saves us. Baptism doth now also save us. It is not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. In other words, it's not a bath. And that's where I went with this. My mind immediately went to this scripture. It is not a bath. 
So if you're not on the path, you just took a bath. It, it is not. It saves us. But it's not the putting away of the flesh, but it's the answer of the good conscience towards God by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, the answer of a good conscience. We discussed that what Satan wants to do is get to your mind last week. That's where the battleground is. He wants to give ideas through any means he can. He uses agents, whether it's friends, relatives, TV, newspaper, social media. He throws ideas out there to change your mind about God and about what is right and wrong. And the mind is the battlefield. But you know what the answer of a good conscience towards God is? Is believing in the Lord Jesus Christ you imitate his death, burial, and resurrection in that baptism. It's the like figure of what happened with, with Noah. It's a word for antitype. It means one was the antitype of the other. So what happened whenever Noah got in the boat? He was saved through everything that happened by being in the boat. The water destroyed everyone else, but it, it saved him because he was in the boat. The boat represents the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever he got into that boat. Before he did. He said I want you to do something. He said I want you to take some tar. And I want you to cover that on the inside and out. Since you would built it. I want you to cover the entire thing with that, that pitch. Pitch it within and without. And then you will get in and it will save you from the destruction that's coming. The anti-type is that now by going into the water, because anti means like the opposite of. So the opposite of going into the boat and the water floating you up and you're not in the water, but the water destroyed everyone else. The anti-type of that is when we go into the water and we have that through the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the operation of God on the cross when he judged him there for my sins. The anti-type is, is now I have to go into the water, but everyone that doesn't go into the water is going to face the destruction. Do you see the type versus the anti-type? Now, it's, it's the like figure is the word anti-type. So the like figure or the anti-type is what now saves us by that faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's supposed to do something to you. It's supposed to change who you are and make you a new creation in Christ because it's not a bath and it's not just to wash the filth off the top of the flesh. It makes you a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, how many of you grow a garden? How many of you have canned pickles? That cut it down a little bit. How many of you have pickles in the fridge? How many of you have seen pickles in the store? Okay, we're getting there now. Okay, I want, <laughs> I want to tell you a little bit of something. I've been canning pickles, okay? I've been canning pickles, and one of the pickles I can is lime pickles. You ever seen lime pickles? Lime pickles are a special kind of pickles. You know, you got dill pickles, you got bread and butter pickles. Well, I do something called a dill pickle. It was a recipe from my mom. And I don't know if she got it from my grandma. But this is a family recipe that's been handed down forever. And what happens is lime pickles have a very unique flavor. 
and a very unique color. Because, see, they, they want you to, since it's a lime pickle, they want it to look lime green. So they tell you to use a little bit of green food coloring in it while you soak it in that lime. See, the lime, you soak them overnight and it makes the pickles resilient, resistant. They're crispy. They don't go soft on you. And then as, you, as they soak in that solution with the cloves and the different spices that you have in there and the sugar, then it soaks all that up. But if you put the food coloring in, it soaks the food coloring up with it. Now, I ran out of green food coloring, so I took my little skills from kindergarten that yellow and blue make green. So I had yellow and, green and blue food coloring, and you know what it did? It made, it made a green, and it, and it pickled those things. But when you look at it, there's your cucumber, right? I even got this little old buck knife, and I can cut that off. And there's you a slice of cucumber. You've got that cucumber, but if you want to turn a cucumber into a pickle, you've got to do something to it. You know what you've got to do to it? You've got to pickle it, don't you? Look at those things. That's lime pickles. That's, that's what i got going on right here. So I got a cucumber that was turned into a pickle. Now they still kind of kind of resemble each other and look the same, don't it? But you know what's the difference between the cucumber and the pickle? It's dripping. Mmm. That's pretty good. If you want one later, you can try it. You know what's the difference between a cucumber and a pickle? What it got soaked in. Oh, there's all kinds of stuff. We get soaked in water. And it's going to change us because that's where the blood of Christ is in, that, in there. And it's going to just do just like that ark. It's going to soak us within and without. It says that the blood of Christ covers you. Whenever, whenever they would offer those sacrifices, the blood would be spread upon the ark of the covenant, upon on the mercy seat, or they would spread it on some, it was to cover, kafar. That word is to cover. God told Noah, cover the ark on the inside of the and out. That ark represented the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, we've, we've learned that from our study a long time ago too. But if that ark represents the Lord Jesus Christ and it was covered on the inside of out, it is the place of safety that delivers you away from the disaster that's going to happen. Now, how do we get into that ark? The same, that is a like figure of us, it said a moment ago. Baptism is the like figure of what happened with Noah and the ark. It's the antitype. When we are immersed in the water, the blood of Christ covers us, the scriptures tells us. It covers us inside and out. And I want you to know something. No matter how hard that pickle tries, he doesn't want to go back to be a cucumber. You know what? Something else, not only... You see, in the original word for baptism is baptizo, and the verb form is bapto. You know, when it was used in the first century in the writing of this, you know what it represented? Making a pickle. Your recipe in the first century in the Greek 
would say that you take your cucumber and slice it and you baptize it in the water. Why do you baptize it? It's to dip, to submerge, and it, bapto is in an intense form that means to completely cover and overwhelm. So that rules out the, the little sprinkling. Can I sprinkle a little bit of that solution on the cucumber and it turns into the cucumber, into a pickle? Can I pour a little bit of it on there and it turns into that? No, it has to be submerged. That's what the word means. It means to be overwhelmed. It's, it's, it's the word for when a ship goes down and it goes to the bottom of the sea. It is submerged beneath. And when it is baptized, when that cucumber is baptized into the pickling solution, it becomes something that it was not before. It is now a pickle and not a cucumber. Genetically DNA, I am still flesh and blood once you look on the outside. But you know what? After I've been baptized, after I've been pickled by the blood of the lamb, I should be a little bit different though. Even though I still started out as a cucumber, whenever people talk to me now, they should think there's something a little bit different about him now. He's not as mean as he was. You know, I've heard people talk about when I was a kid. They, they used to say that I was a mean little squirt. I, I ran into some friends this summer that had their grandkids at the ball game. And uh, I don't know if those that was in my class remember Valerie Biddy, but she, lived, she had lived behind me a little bit over there. I was on Ohio Street, and she was uh, over here off of home, and then Lavender's was right here on Clore Drive. And we would end up playing, and she married Bill Lavender. And, uh, and Billy was talking about when I was a kid, and she said, yep, you and my and his cousin or his uh, nephew Crackers, they was the two meanest kids in the whole neighborhood. And I thought I wasn't mean. <laughs> I didn't think I'd ever been mean. But you talk to my aunts and uncles, and uh, they would say, as a little kid, I was mean. Well, I can only remember a couple times, like when my uncle Jim, I, I was about five or six years old, and I had the garden hose, and he said, "Don't you do it! Don't you do it!" And something inside of me just made me do it. And he chased me down and whopped me a little bit. So, so, but that ain't mean. But now once you've been pickled, once, once you've been immersed in the blood of Christ, it's not a bath. It didn't wash the dirt off of the cucumber. What you're supposed to do in baptism, the whole idea meant to dye something. That's why the green dye in there goes all the way through. Front to back, top to bottom, you can break those, those cucumber slices. I'm going to have me another one just so I can demonstrate. If you, if you break that open, it's still green on the inside, the outside, edge to edge. Mm. This thing's white, edge to edge. When you're baptized, it's not a washing away of the filth of the flesh. It's the answer of a good conscience towards God. And in other words, I recognized who I used to be. I don't want to be like that anymore. I want to be saved. Boy, this stuff's got some, some flavor. <laughs> I want to be saved. 
I'm not going to be able to shout for a minute. So I do this, but I am changed. I am supposed to be changed, and it goes all the way through inside and out and made me into a new creature. Now, these, these were fresh. This here is another way of pickling. This one is fermentation. It was only water and salt. This was four years ago. Another thing that happens when you're baptized. Everybody's getting hungry. The pantry will be here in a minute. When you're, when you're baptized, we're supposed to be, what did Jesus say in them Beatitudes? The salt of the earth. When you become the salt of the earth, salt is a preservative. I guarantee you that if I leave that cucumber out the way it is, in its natural fleshly state, it won't be too long before it starts getting soft, before it starts getting rotten, and you ain't going to want to smell it either. It's going to turn bad on you, isn't it? But you know what? Same thing that happens whenever you get pickled by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he covers you inside and out. He's a preservative. And he makes you to where you're supposed to be the salt of the earth. And the salt of the earth means it was a preservative. And that it didn't go bad like you were in your natural state. Man, these things are four years old. And they taste like they was done yesterday. But you know what? That salt permeated it. It, here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to become like the one that we're soaked in. Do you know that? You are supposed to become a new creature in Christ Jesus. You are a new creature, a new creation. So you become something new. And when you become in Christ, then you have now got the salt and the pickling spice to where you're preserved from the destruction that's going to come. How did it get described in another scripture? Let's see where we're at. Okay. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. Everything that I just told you is described right here. Ye all are children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. That faith in Christ Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection means that as many as you that believe that and follow him in baptism, as many of you as have been baptized into what? Into Christ. You have put on Christ. When lime pickle, when a cucumber gets baptized into lime pickle solution, it becomes a lime pickle. It's not a dill. It's not a bread and butter. It's not a fermented pickle. It is what it was baptized into. This one is fermented because it was baptized into salt water. And if you want to know, you put like a tablespoon of pure sea salt, not your iodized, and spring water, and that's all you have to do. And it does the rest. You put on lime pickle... And you become lime pickle. 
when we are baptized into Christ, we are to put on Christ. And if we put on Christ, that means we look like what? Like Christ. Just like that looks now like what it's supposed to look like. So now we are supposed to look like the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lime Pickles made a great example of what baptism is supposed to be because that's where the word originated from. That's what it does from it. And it, it calls for all of this. It is no longer its original self, but I look different, I act different, I taste different because of what I have been soaked with and what I did with that. So they were changed, and that's no longer the way it was before that. So now let's look again back at, at this. You've put on Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ, it says in, in Galatians, and it says in Colossians too that whenever you... Whenever you do that, that he also circumcises you. He cuts off the sinful nature of the flesh and, and you are wrapped. You, you come out a new creation. You have put on the robe of Jesus Christ whenever you, whenever you go through that. So now, how, what is, we talked about the baptism, but I was talking about how the water and the blood comes together. John, the other disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, he was the only one of them that was the eyewitness at the cross. The other ones had taken off. They had run. They were scared. They, they had left. But John stood there. And you remember the Lord Jesus said, you know, there's my mother. She is now yours because I'm not here to take care of her. Mother, behold your son. And John was the eyewitness to the Lord Jesus. And he says, I am an eyewitness that one of the soldiers, you see, whenever... Joseph of Arimathea went and asked for the body of Christ. Pilate said, are you sure he's dead? It ain't been quite long enough for him to be dead yet. And he said, yes, he is. And he said, okay, send a couple of soldiers with him. And he said, you make sure that he's dead before you let him take him down off the cross. So he goes out there and it says that the Roman soldier came to the first thief that was on the cross and he hadn't died yet and he broke his legs. Reason being is when you're hanging on the cross and you're like, they had you stretched out as far as you could go. You would have to stand on your tiptoes to get a breath. To stretch your diaphragm out. It will wear you out. And when you can no longer support yourself, you will start suffocating. And it says that the first one hadn't died, the thief. So he broke his legs. So that he could no longer stand himself up to do that. Because the Jews didn't want him hanging there on a holy day. They would give up their Lord... For Barabbas. But we've, we've got enough self-righteousness. That we can't allow these guys to hang on the cross. On our high holy day tomorrow. So you break their legs. And so they go out there. And he has to break his legs. But they come to the Lord Jesus. And it says that the Roman soldier. Seeing that he was already dead. But to make sure he thrust the spear into his side. And you remember what came out? Blood and water. They mixed together in this thing that was called the cross and the sacrifice for our sins. And John said, I was an eyewitness. And that's why we know that blood and water came forth. Because he said, I am an eyewitness to the thing. And I saw it. And it was blood and water that spilled out. And that's what happens through this by faith. When we're baptized from, the, from faith in what the work was on the cross. That, that blood is represented in the water now that we do, and it dies me, and I am covered with it, and I am no longer who I used to be. I have put on Christ. 
I have died to self and I shouldn't want to go back to being who I used to be. Romans 6. I love this and I've used it before, but we'll keep using it because it's one of my favorite sections of scriptures that talks about what we are in the preceding chapter. He's talking about how great it is to be in Christ and there's no condemnation now to those who are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus that you've been baptized into him. And he says, there's no condemnation to you now because, you see, that saved you from the condemnation, from the destruction, just as climbing into the ark did. And then he says this. They said, but you are saying, should I continue to be like I used to be and continue in my old way of life so that God can richly bless me by forgiving me and let that blood continue to do that? And he says, God forbid how should we continue in sin just so that you can say that God's grace is going to keep abounding unto me? Don't you know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus our Lord were baptized into His death? Therefore, you have been buried with Him. And see, that was buried, baptizo. It's not a, a little dip or a dash. You, you were plunged and overwhelmed. And when you did... You were baptized into his death. What's that mean? The death was the sacrifice for sins. The wages of sin is death. And it was spiritual death. They died immediately whenever they partook of the forbidden fruit. He lived another 900 years. So the wages of sin is spiritual death immediately. Physical death later on. And he says, how have we that have been buried with him, you were buried into the death, the the blood and the water that came out from that. Therefore, you are buried with him by baptism into your death as well of the old man of sin, so that like as Christ was raised up by the glory of God under the Father, even so now we walk in a newness of life. Because we didn't just take a bath, we're walking the path. So now it is, we are also in a new walk of life. We're different. We were planted together in the likeness of his death. We are now believing that we're going to be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so knowing this, our old man was crucified with him. The body of sin was destroyed that can be this, this body that can decay and go away and rot and turn that. He says, no, your spiritual body has now been made alive. It's been preserved. That it was crucified. The body of sin was destroyed, but not you. Not who you are, your spirit. Henceforth, don't serve sin anymore. Look what he's done for you. You are a new creature in Christ. He that is dead is freed from sin And if we're dead with Christ, we believe that we're going to be raised up with him together. And knowing that he was raised up from the dead, we're going to live with him. And death has no more dominion over him. For he that died, died once. But he that lives, lives forever unto God. And so shall we. And that should be amen. Amen. We're going to die to self. We're going to be a new walk of life. We're going to look the way he did and what he wanted us to be. And we are going to be resurrected with him one day. Death has no more sting over us. Where is its victory? It is not because he overcame death. And he did it for us. And that's why we give him praise. And remember it each week when we partake of this Lord's Supper.
Now, go ahead and, and give me that next one, Miss T. Told you in the beginning I'd get back here, and I got to do something. I put some pickle juice on my glasses, and I keep seeing that every time I'm looking out at you. I told you I was going to talk to you about those feasts that we looked at last year. You remember that? Okay. You've got your spring feasts, and then you have a summertime period, and then you have your fall feast dates. Now, in the spring feasts, you have Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Pentecost. Jesus fulfilled each one of those. Jesus, if you remember, they were getting ready to, to do the, uh, the Last Supper, but it was the day of Pentecost. Remember, he told them, go in. Master, where do you want us to celebrate the feast? He said, go in. You're going to find this guy. He's got a, a little horse outside. Say, the master has needs of your house, and he's going to show you where it's going to be, and that's where we're going to be at. So they go in. They're, they're celebrating the feast. He's washing their feet. He's showing them what they're supposed to be in that. And then that feast then turns into where he gives us the new feast in the replace of the Passover. And that is our Lord's Supper that we take each time. But they went through that feast because that's what they did. And the feast of the Passover was where the back in Exodus, everyone was saved who had the blood Upon the lintel posts of the door. It was in the shape of a cross. It was down on a cross. That blood on the door of the lintel post meant. That the angel of death passed over you. The same thing that happens now in this. It says that Christ became our Passover. You know how he said that I didn't come to destroy. But to fulfill. He fulfilled the Passover. He died on Passover. They were celebrating that feast that night. The next day was Passover holiday. The day that he was crucified. Because their time frame goes from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. It started at 6 p.m. Later that night, they, the Roman soldiers took him. And he, was, he had to be, remember, Joseph wanted him on the cross before evening. Before the next day started. So they had to get him off of the cross by then. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7. If you want to write it down. Jesus Christ, our Passover, was crucified for us. He was our Passover lamb that was crucified. And his blood saves us from, from the angel of death. He fulfilled Passover on Passover 30 AD. He fulfilled it. He was the unleavened bread. When his life was placed into that tomb, that body was a sinless body of him. He had bore our sins during the judgment, but his body was unleavened. It was sinless. He is our unleavened bread, John chapter 6. Then, three days later, when he arose, that was the feast of the firstfruits. And you know what the Feast of the First Fruits represents? That's the start of a harvest season that runs from the spring all the way through until the fall harvest comes because some things get ripe in this very springtime first real quick. Uh, then in the fall, you have the big harvest of like your corn and the beans and the different things. So what the First Fruits was, the Feast of the First Fruits was the very first fruits that, that got picked 
was waved before God as an offering to him, saying, I give you my first fruit, which means that you, God, in my faith doing that, you are going to bless us with the rest of the harvest to come. Jesus Christ, it says also in 1 Corinthians, was our first fruits unto God. He was the firstborn from the dead, the first one to resurrect from the dead. He is the first fruits unto God for us. And you know what that means? That means He is guaranteeing the rest of the harvest. That means us. And so, you know, when the harvest started, 50 days later at Pentecost, that's when harvesting, you know how first comes like your little snap peas and your radishes and then you're going to get your tomatoes and cucumbers and stuff and then it goes on into the fall feast when it gets ready to be over. So the day of Pentecost, man, Christ was the first fruit. But on Pentecost, the harvest started to be gathered in. That was the day of Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came... And everyone gathered together and said, what was that noise? And, and Peter began standing with the rest of the men and brethren. And they said, listen, this is about, that was the Holy Spirit of God letting us know that, that today a new generation is starting. And this is the day when the church age is coming and those who believe in Christ. And he said, ye men of Israel, know assuredly that this same one that you gave up into corruptible hands and you crucified him, this same one has become the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is sitting right now on the right hand of God. And when they were pricked in their hearts by what they had done, they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And he said, repent. That means change who you're thinking Change from what you were. Change your mind about Him and believe in Him. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's a promise to you, to your children, to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. That is the beginning of the harvest. On that day, 3,000 souls followed suit, and were added to the church, it says, by the Holy Spirit. As they went on all the way to this day, the harvest is going on. The guarantee of Christ as the first fruits is going on, but it's going to end one day. When it ends is on September 7th. This church age, this age of Gentiles, I'm going to read you in a minute. We are living in the, the break between the spring and the fall from Pentecost when the harvest starts for the church until it ends on the fall feast with the trumpet of God, the feast of trumpets. It will end between that time as the age of the Gentiles, the age of the church. You and I now, it is no longer the age of Israel. At the feast of trumpets, when we are resurrected and going to meet him in the air, then the last week of the Jews comes in. Daniel's 70th week will be a part of that. During the seven uh, days of our, which is the seven years of the, the, the uh, wedding feast that they had, that's Jesus come to take his bride, the church, during the same time, they have their, their last seven days, the last week of Daniel, on trying to redeem the rest of Israel. So the Feast of Trumpets begins at 6 p.m. on September 7th. 
So if this was the year, that's 16 days from today. I don't know that this is the year, but things are going quickly, aren't they? <laughs> things have moved very quickly from a year and a half ago to now and where we're at in this world. I don't know if he's going to keep us around for a lot more, and this is, but I'm just saying we're supposed to be watchmen. We're supposed to get ready for these things. So now, where am I at? Jesus said this. This is where we go to Mark 13. And he's going to say that you're going to see in verse 26 the Son of Man getting ready to come back in the clouds. You remember in Acts chapter 1, whenever he got ready to ascend unto the Father, he told him to wait here until you're endued with the power on high. And you're going to be my spokesmen and my ambassadors and my representatives in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And it says he began to ascend and rise up. And they stood there and looked and he went up through the clouds. And then after he disappeared into the clouds, the angel was there and says, Ye men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking up into the clouds? That same Jesus is going to return again one day. And that same way he went, he's going to return with those clouds and come back. Now you get on back to Jerusalem like he told you and wait there for the gift of the Spirit. So it says, Jesus is telling us what to look for beginning here, Mark 13. You're going to see the Son of Man coming in the clouds just as I went that way with great power and glory. And then, I want you to remember this one in a minute when I get to a slide towards the end. Jesus says, and then he will send his angels and shall gather the elect from the four winds and from the uttermost parts of the earth and from the uttermost part of heaven. Hear a parable of the fig tree. Remember the four winds. So ye in like manner, that fig tree, you know to be able to look in the spring that the shoots are coming, the harvest is getting ready. You know all of those things in like manner. When you see these things come to pass, know that my return is nigh. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day, the hour, knoweth no man, not the angels, not the Father in he not which are in heaven, neither the Son, but only the Father. So take heed, therefore, you and I, watch and pray. You don't know when the time the Son of Man is going to come back. But I want to tell you something, he says. He goes on to say down there. He said in verse 33, watch and pray. You don't know the time. Then verse 34, he said, because it's going to be like this. The Son of Man is going to be as one who is taking a far journey. And who left his house and gave authority to his servants. So when Jesus ascended and went on up, he left the authority to the apostles and then now to us as the doorkeepers. He says, the son of man is taking a far journey and he left his house and gave authority to his servants. And he says, therefore, every man to his work and commanded the watch and now watch and pray you don't know when the master of the house is coming. At noon, midnight, whenever the cock crows, whenever it is. He says, in one of these times, I am going to come back. And the word there for the, uh, the servant and, the, and the, the one who keeps the, the house. He left his house to the servants. The word there is porter. And that means a doorkeeper. So he says, I am leaving my house to the, to the ones who keep the door for me until I come back. Jesus is the great shepherd. At the end, he's going to have the sheepfold and all who have entered into the door, he's going to know them and he's going to call them by name and you're going to go in. But in the meantime, 
We've got doors that we come into that we enter in here and, and we're supposed to give you the message of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you will watch, pray, know what to be looking for and to be ready for him. I have given you this. Watch therefore. I am supposed to keep watch and to let you guys know also as you study yourself what we're supposed to be looking for. It could be at any time. Lest I come. Here's what the Lord says beginning in verse 35. Unless I would come and the Lord finds you sleeping. Listen to that, folks. I don't want to come back and I don't want to find you asleep and not knowing that you're supposed to be watching and be ready and knowing when these things are coming back. And he's referring to when he comes back to his bride, which is Matthew 25, if you want to turn there. Because in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 1, he, he's continuing this story because we were um, in, in, in that book there, the same thing is continued in Matthew 25 from Matthew 24. And it says this in verse 1, I want to tell you then, knowing this, that I'm going to return, I want you to know what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's like unto ten virgins that had their lamps and they went forth to meet the bridegroom. All of us are wanting to meet the Lord, aren't we? We want to meet the Lord one day. So he says, it's like those ten virgins who are waiting to meet the bridegroom, waiting for his return when he comes. And the kingdom of heaven is like that, but five are wise and five are foolish. What separates the five wise from the five foolish, the Lord says up there? Oil. We are all supposed to be vessels of God. We are lamps and lights of the world. We're not supposed to be hid under a basket, but standing up on a candlestick. Well, they, these, these, these ten have their lamps. They have their vessels. But it says that what happens, an oil represents the Holy Spirit. In, in, the, in the scriptures, the oil represents the blessings of the Holy Spirit. And it represents that walk. That you're in the fruit of the spirit, the joy, the peace, the different things that you that you are filled with from his fruit, the long suffering and gentleness and stuff. The foolish haven't yet been pickled. They're still more like the cucumber. The wise are like the pickles. They've got their lamps filled with oil. It's trimmed. They're ready. They they are in the walk. So the bridegroom tarried until everyone began to slumber and sleep. And so when they slumbered and slept, Jesus was that long-suffering. He came back at midnight. And it says up there that the cry went out, that behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. And the virgins arose, and they all trimmed their lamps. And man, we went back two years ago and explained how that when, the, when God ordained the, the tabernacle and then the temple, you had the candlesticks, the the lampstands and the church is to be a lampstand, Romans, or I mean, Revelation says in chapter 1, 2, and 3, we are the lampstand, we are the light of the world. And it said that what the priests do, we are a kingdom of priests, and they would go in each morning and night and fill the vessels with oil, the lamps with oil, trim the wicks so that the light never goes out. You and I, morning and night, should be examining ourselves, filling ourselves with the oil, with the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, trimming our wicks, being the light, being always ready on who we're supposed to be. But these, the five foolish, hadn't done that. When they awoken, their lamps had went out. 
They hadn't been filling it and trimming the wicks. They went out and they went to the five wives and said, give us a little bit of your oil so that we can go meet him. And they said, "Uh uh-uh. If I did that, mine's going to run out and we're both in trouble. This is your fault. You go and get from the ones who who sells and you go buy it for you and you get it yourself. So in other words, you've got to take care of yourself in this matter. You can't do it for someone else. So... But then it says that while they were out doing that, the five foolish, that the bridegroom came and they, now catch this, they that were ready, they that had been pickled, they that had filled their lamps, they that had trimmed their wicks, they that were ready, went in with him to the marriage feast. When he comes to get you at the feast of trumpets, at the wedding feast, to carry you in to their and the door was shut. Afterwards, those five foolish came back. They had went out and tried to get some oil. Now they came back. And it says that they began knocking on the door and said, Lord, open up to us. We're back. And the Lord says in verse 11, they said, open up. And he said in verse 12, verily, I say unto you, And I want to tell you, I think this is one of the saddest words in the scriptures. Is when you're knocking at the door and it's been too late and you knock. And he says, sorry, I don't know you. It says in in Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Beatitudes, many are going to say to me in that day, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Lord, did I not do this? Did I not do that? And he's going to say, I knew you not. Because you didn't keep your lamps filled, your wick trimmed and bright. You weren't pickled. It wasn't really in faith. You really weren't with me. So he said, I don't know you. I know you not. Watch, therefore. Here's the admonition to us. Verse 13. You don't know the day nor the hour that the Son of Man come and watch. But we don't know the day or the hour, but we can know when it's getting close. Luke 21, if you want to go there. In Luke 21... I'm trying to hurry. In verse 24 he says, They shall fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive. This is Jesus talking in that time. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down by the Gentiles. That happened in 70 AD when Rome came in and not one stone was left upon another just as he had told them that it would be. And he said that when Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles, That begins the age of the Gentiles, what we're living in now, the church age. It's not the age of the Jews anymore. That period ended at that point. And it says that it will be trodden down until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. It's got to be fulfilled. When's it fulfilled? When Christ, when every person who's going to name the name of Jesus during this time, then he will come back. To get his bride. And the age of the Gentiles is over. And the age of Israel goes back for that last point. But there's the, there's the wording from the Lord himself. Jerusalem will not have that temple rebuilt. They will not reestablish their things. Until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. But, and so we've been living in that time until then. At which time Daniel's 70th week kicks in. And then he goes on to say, so let me show you then the signs of the things to look for whenever the age of the Gentiles is getting ready to end. 
There's going to be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. That means a lot of anxiety and doubt, and I think that we're there. The sea and the waves will be roaring. Man's hearts will be failing them for fear for the things that are coming upon the earth. The powers of heaven will be shaken. And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with great glory. And when these things begin to pass, then you are watching. You who are ready, he says, look up, expecting to see my coming. As he said in that verse 25, Expect to see it and look up, lift up your heads because your redemption, you who are ready, your redemption draweth nigh. Hear the parable of the fig tree. You can always tell when the pear tree is ripe, the apple tree is ripe. Why? Because when the wind shakes it, stuff begins to fall. He says, that's what happens here. The heavens are going to be shaken. Things are going to start, the powers of heaven shaken. Things are going to start falling. And you know that it's time for things to come to pass. Know ye then, he says, that the kingdom of God is going to happen quickly. My arrival will be quick. So whenever we went to Revelation then, whenever we taught that a few years ago, and I may have to do it again here real soon for us, if we go past 16 days, we saw that in Revelation chapter 1, it goes along with what he said. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants. That's the church, us. God said, I want you to show to the servants of Christ the things which must shortly come to pass. I ask you, it's been 2,000 years since John wrote that. Has it shortly come to pass? You know what the word shortly means? How many people are race fans? How many people have seen, knows what a tachometer is? Does the RPMs on your car, doesn't it? So you know how fast the engine revolutions are. When you're idling, it's down there low, about 1,000 RPM, isn't it? It sits there and idles at about 1,000. But whenever you put the hammer down, it goes up to 9, 10,000. Tacos, or tachometer, is the word for shortly come to pass. And so what the Lord Jesus is telling us is, we can be an idol for a long time. But when things are getting ready to happen, when your redemption's about ready to draw nigh, it's going to come quickly. You're going to see the pedal to the metal, and things are going to be like, wow, did you see? Look at everything that's happening. Bam, 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 bam. That's what the word means. It didn't mean that shortly like next year. It means it's a different kind of word for come quickly. It means when you step on the gas, it zooms up quickly. So, you will begin to know when to look for me when things start to heat up quickly on the things that Jesus said was going to happen. I don't know, but some things are really happening kind of quickly right now. I don't know if it's just, just to get us back to God or if it's really it. I'm not a prophet, but I am a prophet on saying that the word of God says for us to watch and be ready. Watch and be ready. You don't know, but you know the season. You see, because in 1 Thessalonians, it said that when he said that that trump's going to sound in chapter 4 and the dead in Christ rise, the very next verse says, but the times and the seasons, I don't have to tell you because I already did, which meant those feast dates when the trumpet sounds. We know the season, but we don't know which year, which day, which time. Now, I got a couple of things that... 
Just, I just want to show you from headlines this week. Headlines that I saw. This was a picture with a headline that said, the four great winds are surrounding America along with the smoke of the wildfires. And what it shows is all of those tropical storms that's coming like Henry and whoever they all are. There's four of them. And this satellite picture supposedly shows the four different ones. And then over there in the west is all of the wildfires, the smoke from those. Do you remember when I read to you a little bit ago about the four? He said that whenever I come, I'm going to release unto you my angels together, the elect from the four winds. I don't know, but what it does is remind me to keep watching. Whether this has any meaning or not, since it, this headline screamed at me, the four winds are surrounding us, I'm immediately thinking, he said to watch for those four winds. How about this one? You know what that is? Huh? Huh? Euphrates, that's right. That is the Euphrates River. It's drying up. Euphrates River is mentioned twice in Revelation. In, in one time in, in uh, Revelation chapter 9, it talks about within the Euphrates River, there's four angels that's going to be released upon us. But not only that, in Revelation 16, 12, it says this. Revelation 16, 12 says that the, that the next uh, uh, vial was open. And that the angel threw it down and the great river, the river Euphrates, dried up so that, that the, the beast systems could begin to come out from underneath the Euphrates River. I don't know that that's getting ready to happen, but this makes me say, I'm going to keep watching because, hey, these are headlines this week that I've saw. As I began writing this, and it's like, this may not be that end, but it makes me want to tell everybody to get ready and be watching just in case, right? Well, what about this one? Kind of hard to see, but you know what that is? And it's in the middle there. The Washington Monument. The Washington Monument got struck by that boat of lightning. Somebody's camera was on it. And it got struck and it, and it kind of shut it down for a little bit because of the systems that it kind of wrecked in there. And the, the caption underneath of it was that, you know, lightning struck the Washington Memorial. Washington, who was the father of our country, had said whenever we declared our independence, and he said that this is, America is a Christian nation, and that as long as we remain operating under the principles of God, it, we will remain a sovereign Christian nation. But the moment that we as a Christian nation turn away from God, turn away from the right, turn away from His guidance on us, and we turn to be led by those who are not godly, and we become an ungodly nation, He said, God will strike this nation. I just found it kind of amazing that I found the headline that the Washington Monument was struck by this this week. I don't know... If it means anything or not, except to me, it means I need to watch and I need to pray. And I need to let everyone know what the word of God has said, like we've done today, so that you can watch and pray and be ready. 
because we don't know that the hour or the day that the Lord our God shall come. So as our worship team comes on back and and we dismiss. Oh, so much more we could talk about, but I've already ran past my time. Jesus instructed us, Matthew 28, 19, to go ye, therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. And then Jesus said through Peter, the Holy Spirit, they asked him, what shall we do? We, we went with that one. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, this one, Acts twenty two sixteen. Good job, Leroy. And now, and this is the question I toss out. If you have not done those things in faith, and after hearing everything that the Word of God has told us about, about being ready and watching and praying, if you have not done these things to be baptized into Christ, to, to look and to put on Christ and to be pickled in Him, to turn from a cucumber into the pickle, to, to be covered over by His blood of the Lamb, if, if you have not done that, Paul says, why tarriest thou? He said, whenever my conversion came, whenever Ananias came and my, my eyes, the scales fell and my eyes could see, he said, Saul, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. Wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. I pray that if you have not done that, that today these words of, of God from His Holy Bible would compel you to do that because we don't know a day or an hour of our life or when He will come. And if we have, I hope this has compelled us to watch and pray and to be changed into what we're supposed to be. So let's pray. And Father. I'm just thankful that you're long suffering. That you're merciful. That your grace endured long enough. For this wretched man that I am. To come to really know you. At least I pray that I've came this far. And I pray that I get to know you even deeper. And I get to see you face to face one day. Lord, whenever I was a young man, and I thought that, yeah, I was, I was right. I wasn't. I had one of those things where I'd said, yeah, but I, I didn't get immersed and changed into what I was supposed to be, and I'm trying still. But Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy to have brought each and every one of us to this point so far. I pray that you will continue to work upon our hearts and our minds that we will grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that we will be cleansed and changed into new people, new creations. I pray that we will be in your ambassadors into this world. And it's not easy, Father, and it's tough, and it's a hard thing, but I pray that we will, and I pray that you give us spirit of courage and not of fear, I pray that you'll give us a spirit of wisdom and courage that we can go out and be what we're supposed to be for you and never turn our back upon that, Father. And I pray that you will be with us, that you will guide, guard, and protect us as we try to do this. And to stay, we honor you, we praise you, and we give you all thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.